Oh, what a great song. Forever is God's promise to us. I give him one more big hand today. We thank God for his love for us. Great to see you this morning. You may be seated and get your Bibles and go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If I could take a little quick survey, how many deer hunters in the room? Let me see your hands this morning. Deer hunters, come on, wave them real high. How many people have actually got a deer? Let me see your hand. We have a few, so why have you not brought any to the church here so we could celebrate with you? For those of you that have not got a deer, I have some advice for you. If you'll just use more corn and drive faster through country roads, it will improve your odds. I've been doing a series called Happy, Happy, Happy. We've kind of used a kind of Duck Dynasty theme, and they, I guess they went back to Louisiana. They're not with me any longer, but uh, it was a series about relationships, how to have relationships that work, relationships that last for a lifetime. And I want to close this series with a message this morning that's foundational, not just to people that are close to us, but, but any relationship that we may be in, even with people to some respects that we may not even know. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. It's somewhat of a mock trial. Pilate is the Roman governor. And I want you to get a picture. Pilate goes to work every day in a bulletproof chariot. I mean, Pilate wears the finest clothes. He eats the finest food. Uh, this guy was probably educated with the best Rome had to offer. When people saw him, they would treat him just like you and I would treat a, a governor. For example, if Governor Perry were here or, 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 or our president were to come today, he was treated with dignity and honor and respect. And Jesus is standing before him. And notice the conversation. Pilate said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate, and I want you to think of the, of this, of the, uh, of the power and even the arrogance of this man. He said, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? In other words, I am in a position, the Roman governor put, or the Roman Caesar put me here. Uh, I, I'm in a position and I have power over your life. And Jesus said an amazing thing. He answered and said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. In other words, this was a guy that had civil authority. He was a governor, but Jesus corrected him because he wrongly thought that the source of his authority was from Rome, but the source of his authority, even as a civil servant, was from God himself. Now, how many know God is ultimate authority in the universe? But for God to kind of run the planet, for God to run things, he has delegated his authority to people. God has delegated authorities, be they authorities in government. God has delegated authorities in the home. God has delegated authority to function in the classroom. He's delegated authority to function on the baseball field. I mean, no, the umpire is to be an authority. A coach is an authority. Uh, you see today, you see conflict in the stands where parents or people don't like what's going on and they, they curse the ump or they yell or they scream. It's a violation or rebellion against authority, but we see it everywhere. Now, you and I are in uh, most of the time, well, most of the time we are, or all the time, I'd say, we're people under authority. We'll talk about it. We're people under authority of the Constitution, under authority of the legitimate laws of the land. Uh, we're under different types of authority. If you're, uh, we're also, though, people of authority. You may be here today. You may be a parent. You are an authority figure in your children's lives. You may be going to school. That teacher is an authority figure in your life. 
so authority is all around us. And as we understand authority, who has authority in life? This is my purpose this morning, is to help you understand who has authority, God-given authority, over your life. And then number two, how you respond to that authority, because it's very, very key. Now, let me say this, kind of a, a caveat or kind of a balance to this. This is a very complicated subject. Because you'll see as we look in the pages of the Bible, we're called to submit to authority, to obey authority. But yet at the same time, the Bible also says if a legitimate authority becomes an illegitimate authority, asking us to do things that are contrary to the ways of God, then we have not only the right but the responsibility to disobey that authority. For example, let's say a mom and her teenage daughter are going through Dillard's and uh, they're kind of shopped out in the mall, but they see one of these really cool little purses. You know, gals, what we're talking about, the little bead purses ladies are carrying now. It's about 50 bucks, and the woman really, really wants that purse, but she doesn't have any money, so she tells her teenage daughter, put that under your coat. Now, mom is a rightful authority, but mom has just asked that child to do something that's illegitimate. That child should disobey mom. Uh, if you're working for someone and the boss wants you to lie so you can keep a contract, say somebody, whatever the case is, now what's happening, that boss is pitting his authority against God's ultimate authority, and at that point, we must choose whether we'll obey God or man. Maybe you're working in health care, and there have been many, many, many attempts to establish laws to force people to participate in abortion. Maybe you're a nurse and, and maybe the government were to uh, force a particular state or county or whatever the case may be to participate in abortion. Well, guess what? That's a violation of conscience is what it's called, but it's a violation of God's laws and that's a place for civil disobedience. So it's a complicated subject. The same Bible that teaches us to submit and to obey authority also teaches us there are times that we need to stand against authority. So let me tell you, I'll be up front. I don't know everything about the subject. And you're going to find that this line may move sometimes, but I want to encourage you to listen to what the Bible would have to say, and hopefully it'll help you. I've, I've entitled the message, Legitimate Authority. And again, I want to help you do two things. Hopefully in your life and my life, that we will submit to God's legitimate authorities in our life, but also that when we are in a position of authority, that we will act in both a humble and a responsible way as we execute God's delegated authority. I'm going to kind of look at three main points this morning. First, we'll talk about authority in general, and then we'll talk about what I'll call four different spheres of authority, that is, where God has delegated authority among people. And lastly, we'll talk about some principles that will help you when you are an authority, how you're supposed to relate to people that are under you. So let's answer the question first, what is legitimate authority? And I'm using the word legitimate uh, in a very deliberate way. Uh, and how should we respond to people that are in authority? Now, this word authority, it's the Greek word exousia. You remember when Pilate said, I have authority to crucify you. Jesus said, you have no authority at all unless it were given you by God. This word, very, very simple definition from the Bible dictionary. It is the rightful and legitimate exercise of power. Let me say it again. Authority is the, from a biblical perspective, is the rightful and legitimate exercise of power. Now, rightful authority, let me kind of illustrate this. You remember when our president was first elected, there were a number of people in the military that says, we're not going to follow the, com the, uh, the orders of our commander-in-chief because we don't believe his birth certificate. Remember that whole deal is, that shows that he was American-born. Therefore, we don't believe that he is a rightful authority. 
Just like if, if, for example, let's say one of the housing projects, somebody rose up in the housing project kind of under the, under the radar, so to speak, and I'm going to be the boss here. That's not a rightful authority. So we talk about rightful authority. It is properly designated or delegated by God. But the more word that's perhaps more important to us today is the word legitimate. And legitimate authority means that that authority is acting in a way that is right and just. Let me say it again. If we're going to obey an authority, it's that they're acting in a way that is right and just, not based on what they feel or say, but what the Bible would teach us about, about God's view. And again, as I said, authority is everywhere. Uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're a child and you were in kids' church this morning, the leader of that kids' church is an authority in your life this morning. Uh, if you're an usher, uh, or, for, or for example, you came in and an usher perhaps escorted you down the aisle, that usher is a person of authority. Uh, when we come in the church building, we are to submit to the usher. We have a sheriff's deputy there. Uh, it's sad that in America today there is so much violence, believe it or not, even in churches around America. That's why we do it for your protection. But he is an authority representing the laws of the land. Uh, we're having our, our, our night of empowerment tonight. We used to call it a Holy Ghost night. It'd be a great, great service. People being filled with the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. Well, Pastor Mike is leading it. Well, what would happen if Pastor Mike, for example, said, I feel the Lord wants all of us to come to the altar and pray, and half the people stayed in their chairs? Now, I understand if you're on, on a walker or something like that, but most people are, are not on a walker. Most people just say, I don't want to do that. See, you're dealing with an issue of authority, and how many, know, how many know we live under the authority of the Constitution? We live under the authority of the laws of our land. You don't believe it? Just peel out of the parking lot after church and start going 60 down the access road, and you may not like the fact that it's a 40-mile-an-hour, whatever the speed limit is, or, or you may not like to go 15 miles an hour through Spring Lake Park, uh, and if you're stopped, you say, well, nobody was here, nobody was watching. It doesn't matter. An authority has established law. So we face this all the time in, in, in our world around us. And the proper response to legitimate authority, that is an authority that is acting in a right and true way, is submission and obedience. Now, submission and obedience, they're kind of cousins, but they're different. Obedience is an action. Obedience is what we do in response to the authority's words to us. But how many know you can, you can obey somebody but not be submitted to them? That's a good time to say yes. Submission is an attitude of the heart. Submission is a yieldedness. It's a willful choice that we make. Uh, you can be submitted as Peter and John were. They were submitted to the Jewish Sanhedrin, but when the Jewish Sanhedrin said, we want you to stop preaching Jesus, then they would not obey that even though they were submitted in their heart. Now, but how many know, conversely, you can obey an authority but not be submitted? For example, let's say your child's watching TV, and you say, it's time to do homework. Yeah, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Third time, it's time to do your... I said, get up, turn that TV off, get up. Okay. Sit down at that desk and do your homework. Well, they're sitting down on the outside, but they're standing up on the inside. So how many know you can obey but not be submitted in your heart? Now, the Bible teaches us that all authority comes from God. We'll look at that in a moment. And when we submit to and obey a delegated legitimate authority, we're literally submitting to God. Now, when a legitimate authority uh, asks us or tells us to do something, there's two choices. One is we can obey, and two is we can rebel. But I will suggest to you very clearly, if we, if we rebel against authority, it opens the door to heartache. 
Now, if you're a ball player and the coach tells you to do something and you continually defy the coach and the coach says what? You're off the team. The authority has the right to throw you off the team. How about you won't do what the teacher says at school? Uh, she's the authority. Let me know that teacher says go to the principal's office. And it causes heartache when rebellion is in our heart. And we've got to understand that all authority on earth is a precursor to the ultimate authority of God. Because one day, like it or not, the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the first line of authority in society is the home. It's the family. And if a child refuses to learn obedience in the home, guess what happens when they get out of the home? They're going to face civil authority. I mean, no, that's why we have laws. People go to jail. But it's not just to punish people. It's to make them aware that one day they're going to stand before God, the ultimate authority, and give an account for their life. Now, um, the problem in America is that nobody wants to be told what to do. And all the church mice said... Nobody, including me, nobody wants to be told what to do. We all want to do what we want to do. I mean, why should, why should a policeman have the right to tell me I can't drive 60 miles an hour on the shoulder of the interstate? Come on, because I've got to get to Dallas. Now, I know traffic's been backed up for two hours because there's a wreck, but look, it's wide enough for me to go down there, and bless God, I just want to drive down the side of the road. We just kind of want to do what we want to do in life. Um, 2 Peter 2, verse 9, it's a very interesting passage. It's talking about the last days. And it says, The Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous until the day of judgment, especially those who... So the unrighteous, the last day's judgment, and one of the indicators there are the people who despise or reject authority. We are, as a nation, we are a rebellious nation. In the 60s, women were burning their bras as a sign of independence as the feminist movement was gaining steam. But in actuality, they were defying God's laws of modesty. It's a rebellious act when we call policemen pigs, cops are pigs, or whatever derogatory term. We are defying an authority figure. I, I remember when I was a child, I said, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to anything bigger than me. Anyone raised that way? Well, I was taught because you respected age. And not only did you respect age, but you respected the position that the person was in. And, and let me say this. We don't respect an authority or submit to an authority because they're smarter than us. We don't respect or submit to an authority because they're more educated than us, because they're you know, stronger than us. Authority is a delegated position. It's not, it's not based on the attributes that the person has. You can have a very small, petite woman that just barely makes it through the minimum standards of height and weight for being a policeman or policewoman, but she makes it through, and if she puts her hand up at an intersection, how many know you better stop because she represents the authority of the whole law, and whatever it takes, whether the SWAT team, the National Guard, her words will be backed up. Now, uh, in our world today, we don't want the Ten Commandments on the walls of our schools. Now, I say not us, but society somehow in general, the powers that be. And that's an act of rebellion that basically says we don't want God telling us what to do. 
We would rather deal with the problems through metal detectors, come on through rules, through timeouts and things. We don't want God telling us what to do. So you and I were raised in a culture of rebellion. In television, rebellion is, 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 is almost deified. It's applauded. We look all around us, but yet the Bible is going to teach we as a Christian, as a follower of God, to respond to it. Now let me, let me, let me take just a moment. Acts chapter 4, should we do whatever an authority says? Should we do whatever an authority says? Or when does an authority become illegitimate? Now, let me read a scripture to you. You remember it's early in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Uh, a, a tremendous revival has broken out. The same Jews that crucified Jesus was try, were trying to stop the church. It's like putting your finger in the hole of a dam. And Peter and John had done an amazing miracle, and people were listening to their preaching. And now these, the Jewish Sanhedrin commanded Peter and John not to preach anymore in Jesus' name. So let's read what they did. Uh, and again, the Sanhedrin was a rightful authority, but now had told them an illegitimate uh, act. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, and listen to this sentence, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? And their response was, we cannot step to stop telling everything what we've seen and heard. So this is a great principle for us. There's times when we should disobey human authority. Now listen, if they act contrary to God's commands. So when human authority acts contrary to God's commands, we have not only a right but a responsibility to say no. Uh, that's why Hobby Lobby right now is, is, is suing the federal government because the federal government, through the health care law, is infringing on their religious right, you understand, because they don't want to be able to or be forced to provide abortion coverage, the pills and other things, uh, in their health plans. So that's what they're doing. They're standing. It's called civil disobedience. Uh, we'll see about a woman is called to submit to her husband, but if that husband is a violent person in the home, my counsel to her would be to get out of the home. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily to just get divorced, but it means separate so you can reconcile yourselves. But submission does not demand that you be beat up by somebody. Come on, somebody say amen. Should be a ministry in the church that visits him in the wee hours of the night. If Jim Jones... Strike that from the tape, please. If Jim Jones told his followers to drink Kool-Aid, how I many know you need to say, hit the road, Jack, find another preacher? So there are times when you disobey authority. Now, I think this is the most important sentence I can say on this. Disobedience is justified when an authority demands we disobey God's authority. Disobedience is justified when an authority demands we disobey God's authority. Whether it's drinking Kool-Aid, whether it's stealing a purse, whatever, the, or, or, or performing an abortion, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever it may be. Now, let me say this before I move on. Usually... Uh, the disobedience is the exception rather than the rule. The disobedience to the authority is the exception, not the rule. Most of us disobey based on personal preference. We'll look in the Bible, and you could see in the Bible the life of David. Now, David was a man that was called to be king in his young years. God had anointed him. God had called him. But the only problem was Saul was still there. And David, Saul is trying to kill David because he's jealous, and David won't even defend himself because he said, I'd never put my hand against God's anointed. That's a powerful, powerful thought to how far we would go. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, submit yourself to the Lord's sake for to every human authority. So Peter writing about submission, well, guess who the authority was of the day? 
Uh, it's Caesar. It's Caesar who is, a, who is basically Caesar was viewed as God. I mean, there were, you know, there were no redress as we have today. You don't have rights in the Bill of Rights and those things. He is the absolute law. But he's even saying to this guy, he's calling for Christian people to submit. So I suggest to you that submission needs to go to the nth degree as opposed to rebellion every time it doesn't suit our fancy. Come on, I'm preaching a little better than you're amening today. Again, a complicated subject, but we live in America today as a semi-free people because of the American Revolution when men and women rebelled against a civil authority that had begun to behave in an illegitimate fashion. So again, a complicated issue, need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but grounded in the Word of God that calls us to submit to, to legitimate authority. Now, let me shift gears a little bit. Let me give you four spheres of what I'll call delegated authority, where God has delegated his authority. The first one is in the home, God's order in the home. Ephesians 6, it's the first verse my children memorized. I bet you know it. Children, come on, all kids under 18, let me hear it real loud. It's on the screen. Put it on the screen there. Come on, we need a little help here. Ephesians 6, 1. All right, well, I'll have to help you. It says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And you may be thinking, oh, what a bummer. But verse 3 says that it may go well with you. And here's what you'll find out. When you submit as God calls you to do, God's blessing follows you. God's not trying to punish us or hurt us, but God has placed a parent in the home to be the authority in that home, and that's God's order. Let's talk about marriage just a second, about husbands and wives, and this is a hot potato, so I'll let my wife do it. Take a peek at the screen. She's coming up here. Ephesians 5.22 reads, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Submission is a four-letter word, actually ten if you really count it, but in the American culture it is not a very popular word. But let me talk to you as a wife who has been married for 30 years and what I've learned about submission. I don't choose to submit to my husband because he's a pastor. I don't choose to submit him because he's perfect, although over the last year he has been pretty near perfect in all that I've gone through. I don't choose to submit to him because he's smarter than I am. I also don't choose to submit because I'm weaker or because I'm not strong enough to stand on my own, but I choose to submit for these reasons. Number one, I choose to submit to my husband because the Bible commands me to. The Bible tells me that I'm to submit to him as unto Christ. The second reason I choose to submit to him is because when I'm submitting to him, I'm actually submitting to God. I'm putting my trust in him. It's kind of like tithing. When I give my 10% to God, I'm trusting him to take care of me. When I submit to my husband, I'm trusting God to take care of me. The third reason I submit to my husband is there's protection and submission. As a woman who's under authority, who is submitted to my husband, if he makes a bad decision, God is still going to take care of me because I'm choosing to be submitted to God and to trust God, and God will take care of me. I'm a strong and independent woman, um, but I find great security in being a woman under authority and being a woman who chooses to submit to my husband. So I want to encourage you today, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Trust God to direct them and change their mind if they're wrong, and together you can have a great marriage. Well, there you go. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. 
But I will say this as a husband, I have never asked or told my wife to submit to me or obey me. You've missed the whole spirit of the thing if you do. I believe if the husband will first initiate his role, which is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, her response to him will never be a problem. Now, let's look at delegated authority in the church. Hebrews 13, 17. God has an established order in the church. Obey your leaders, pastors, elders, teachers. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your eternal soul. In other words, we as leaders want to not only help you get to heaven, but to, when you get there, help Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice, as those who will have to give an account, that is, God will hold the leader accountable for the people under his or her charge. But let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, let's look at the third one, civil government. I wish I had more time on this. Romans 13, verse 1, God's order in government. The Scripture says, let every person be subject to, every person submit to, to yield to the governing authorities. And notice this next phrase, for there is no authority except from God. And those who that exist have been instituted by God. Now, that's a head-scratcher there because there will be, what this is basically saying in a nutshell is, when people are in places of authority in our lives, God is somehow behind that. That doesn't mean that God approves of their action. But how many know God can even use a, 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 a leader that's not a good leader? How about Nebuchadnezzar? Remember when he was used by God to bring judgment to the, uh, uh, to the Israelite people? Uh, how about uh, King Cyrus, who was God's hand, a pagan man, to move Israel back to their homeland? So God can even use people that are in authorities in our lives. You know, across America today, there is a big push to secede from the Union. I read in our paper, local paper yesterday where someone's getting uh, signatures so Texas can become a sovereign state once again, a sovereign nation. Uh, counties in Colorado and California are signing petitions to secede from their state. And the reason is because they believe that their governments ha are no longer behaving in a legitimate fashion. Now hear me on this. As we look around, it, something's wrong when our Congress will pass laws for you and I to obey health care, but they not have to obey it. Something is wrong when they impose taxes, Social Security, whatever, on us, but then they exempt themselves from it. In America's history, Americans went to Washington to serve or whatever the state office. Today, it's like a career. You work four years and you get a big salary for life. So America is realizing something is wrong and something is broken. And who knows what the future holds for us. But I'm telling you, a Christian's first response is to recognize that authorities come from God. And we pray for those authorities. But there is a time when we must stand against illegitimate authority. The Bible goes on to say that, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. The American Revolution, the reason we're here today, listen, Britain didn't give up its control, illegitimate control of America easily. I know you're not saying much. My wife said it's a thinking message, honey, so just keep moving. Let me close with one last thing. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, delegated authority in society. Now, I'm talking about God's order in the job and social relationships. Interesting scripture here, Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. And then the oddest phrase, 
just as you would obey Christ. Now, first of all, the Bible is not advocating slavery. Rather, the Bible spoke into the social culture of the day. Do you know that in the day the Bible was written, two-thirds of the world were slaves? Now, it's different than our American understanding of slavery, but if you were, uh, it, it, when the Romans would conquer a region, what they would do is they would take a large portion of their culture and they would relocate them. So a slave was not just a menial laborer. A slave could have been an architect or a doctor, but then they would just come and they would function as a slave somewhere else. If the writers of Scripture had, would have called for rebellion against this uh, illegitimate act of slavery, what would have happened is the Roman government would have destroyed Christianity and squelched it as it had done many other movements. But basically, they changed the culture from within. Now, though there's, the Bible does not advocate slavery, and we don't have slaves in America today, this is a great application for the workplace. Are you with me today? And in the workplace, listen, if a slave was supposed to obey their master with sincere hearts, just like they were serving Christ, they were to serve wholeheartedly as if they were serving the Lord because you know that the Lord will do what? Reward each person on us for the good that we've done. Now, let me say this to you. If we're a Christian, how many know if we are working for somebody, we should be the best employee that's there? If a slave was called to work wholeheartedly for their, for their master, how many know we should do it, the same thing for our bosses? We live in a world today, and especially if you're a Christian working for a Christian, don't take advantage of the boss. Come on. Don't say, you should pay me more because I'm a brother. You should let me get away with more because I'm a brother. Come on. You shouldn't hold me to the same standards because I'm your brother. You should go out of your way to be the best person that's there. So there is an authority that's there, but you're not just working for your boss. You're not working for her. You're working for Jesus. Come on. You're doing it as unto the Lord. So this is kind of a broad scripture for the workplace, but God establishes authority on the baseball field. Come on. The authority that the umpire has, authority in the classroom for the teacher. Uh, uh, listen, we just live in a world where God's instituted it, but the rebellion in society is causing it to crumble. But how many know you and I can still respond because it's the right thing to do? Somebody say praise the Lord. Now, let me take the last couple minutes and shift gears. Let me give you some guidelines if you are the person in authority. Because in this room today, whether you're the supervisor at work, whether you're a parent, whether you're a husband, whether you're in politics like the judge, we should function differently than the world when we are in authority. And here's the first one. I cannot be a person of authority unless I'm under authority. I can't be, I don't have authority and legitimate authority unless I'm under authority. Luke 7 verse 8, a Roman soldier said this, I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I say go and they go, come and they come. In other words, I'm under the authority. If I'm a captain, I'm under the authority of the general. But therefore, I can tell the private and the sergeants to do things, and they do it, because I'm a man first under authority if I'm a person of authority. And can I tell you this? A person that's not submitted to an authority in their life is dangerous. That's what caused Satan to fall. Satan wanted God's authority. And there's something about the human spirit. Everybody needs to be under authority. I need to be under authority. 
I have a lot of freedom to lead, but it's not an unlimited freedom in our church. I made sure that it was written in our bylaws years ago when I came about things, how I could be removed from my role if I disqualified myself and set up a mechanism for that to happen because I don't want to be an unlimited authority. Are you with me today? We all need to have that bow to knee to somebody because if we don't, we are dangerous. Luke 22, imitate Christ's example of a servant's heart. This is the way... We come across when we're a leader. Uh, the disciples, now before Jesus, they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest. You got the picture here? I mean, who's going to be the man? Who's going to be the top woman at the top of the pyramid? And Jesus told them this. In this world, in other words, secular people, people around you, and he's going to contrast to the kingdom. But in this world, great men lorded over their people. They come riding up in the, you know, the armored car, whatever the case is, or the armored limo, and they fly off in the airplane, and that's what everybody wants to be. No, Jesus said, among you, it's going to be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the... Isn't that interesting? The higher you go in God's kingdom, the more of a servant you should be. And the leader should be like the servant. And then Jesus said this incredible statement, I am among you as one who serves. I am a servant among you. So I suggest to you as a leader, the higher you go in your leadership role, the more of a servant you should be to the people that are under you because you, my friend, are following an example of Christ. Somebody say praise the Lord. Uh, I appreciated very much the honor that Dr. Lacey gave us and that you, our church, honored us as pastors. You know the Bible says to give what? Honor to whom honor is due. It even speaks of double honor to those that are laboring in the word and doctrine. But guess where I park every day? I park the farthest away from the building because I want to be an example of the greatest servant. I don't have a reserved parking place that says God's most, the most right reverend. <laughs> now, during the week, I park by the door because it's close, but that's a deliberate thing. Come on. It's not below me to pick up a piece of paper. So the, the higher you go, in leadership in this world, the more of a servant we should be. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Uh, let, me, let me give you another one. This is your heart. Don't be demanding, but you should lead in a loving way. Look in the home. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't make your children angry, but raise them with the training and the teaching of the Lord. In other words, Dad, don't just sit in the chair and shout, spew orders to your kids. Don't foster in them that aggressiveness to where you have to command them. Similarly, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So in the home, the Bible's telling us that those that are in leadership in the home should do so from a, a heart that desires to care and love for people, not just spew orders. And here's the last one. Of course, all this is online. The last one is, if you're a, a, a leader in, in a God-ordained position, don't shirk your God-given responsibility. Let me say it again. If God's called you to be a leader and you're functioning in your place of authority, don't shirk your God-given responsibility. That You must use it. You must use your authority because God will hold you accountable. Now, hear the scripture, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. You remember the message to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And it was written to the angelos, or the angel of the church, the messenger of the church. Not a literal angel, a spiritual angel, but most scholars believe that it was to the leader, the senior leader of the church. And after he bragged on a bit, here's what he said. He said, I have this against you. 
you tolerate, everybody say it with me, you tolerate in the church that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. And by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. What's the deal there? This leader in the church was allowing someone to come in the church and, in, and, and, and she was influencing people. Come on. She was a gifted person. She had a prophetic gift. But she was leading people into immorality and idolatry. And God himself, Jesus himself, got on that pastor, got on that elder because they were allowing that in the church. So the last lesson is if you're a person of authority, you can't, when it's time to confront, you've got to get in there even though it's hard because that's what God expects of us. Come on, give the Lord big, a big hand. I'm done today. Well, I said a lot this morning. I hope you'll maybe go back and pick it up. You can always download the notes if you, before church if you, if you have an iPad. But uh, I, I think that will help you to live a happier life. What I taught you today could keep you out of jail and keep you out of divorce court. What I taught you out today will, can keep you on the ball team. But what I taught you today can help you stand against society when things that are wrong and have the courage to stand up for what's right. I'm going to close with this scripture. It's in Ephesians 5. That when we embrace our God-given role in a relationship, great things can happen. In other words, when you recognize if you, you're the authority and you're functioning and the people under you are functioning in their role, again, you're not superior, but it's a delegated role. I'm going to read Ephesians 5.21. This is the teaching on marriage. Before he talked to the wife or the husband, he said this, submit to one another. Can anybody say that? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You do understand in Christ we're all equal. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter your heritage, Jew or Greek. Doesn't matter how educated you are, how much money you have. In Christ, we're all equal. We're all brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But there's a call for mutual submission. One of the best uh, examples I ever heard in church life, but in life, was from a, a Assembly of God pastor, Tommy Barnett, one of the greatest pastors in America. He pastors in Arizona. He's the one that started Dream Centers for the poor, helping the poor all over America. Here's what he said. He said, when I, I went to Arizona many, many decades ago, he said there was a worship guy that was there that was just one of the best worship leaders, he said, I'd ever seen in my whole life. This guy could write songs, and he was good with music and recruiting people, and he was charismatic and all that. But he said the only problem was is he was independent, rebellious in his heart. And it soon became clear that there was a, 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 a fight going on all the time between the rightly delegated senior leader, come on, and the worship leader of who was in charge. It was a Jezebel, as we just read about. And he said it became so bad, finally one day I had to sit him down, Tommy Barnett says, and says, you know what? You're a better singer than I am, and you know more about music, but because you're an unsubmitted man, I believe God's called you to be here. I'm going to start designing the worship services. Now, he'll admit, and he said, I couldn't, listen, I couldn't sing a song in a bucket. I didn't do very good picking out songs and all, and it was terrible for a while. But I taught that young man that he had to submit, come on to authority. And when he started to submit to me, he said, he came to my office one day, and he said, Pastor, I want you to forgive me for the way I've behaved. I have obeyed you, but I have not submitted to you. And when he realized that and the two of them came together, Tommy Barnett then said this, I, as a delegated authority, could submit myself under his authority as the worship leader 
because he was more gifted and more skilled. And he said, our worship just took off and did like that. People were so glad he was leading worship, but we had to get it right behind the scenes before it could be right publicly. And when we did, it was a great blessing for everybody that's involved. But he said, I could not give up my authority until he had submitted to me first. But when he submitted to me, I submitted to him, and the church and everybody else was blessed. Isn't that a good story? That's the way life needs to work. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I, I hope, you, hope you got something out of this. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing a worship song, and I want you, before you turn your mind off from church, I want you to just bow your head a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Pastor, would you just sing a moment? One way to be found in God is to be living God's way. And God, the ultimate authority, has delegated His authority to men. He's delegated His authority to women. He's delegated His authority to coaches and teachers and judges and politicians and pastors and elders. I want you to bow your head just a moment. Would you just pray this with me? Say, Lord, I, I want to respond rightly to authority, wherever it is. That's authority in the home or authority at church or authority in the workplace or even civil authority. I want to respond right. I don't want to be rebellious. I don't want to be someone that rightly responds. And if there's ever that time to say no to legitimate authority, I, I, I want to do it because you're leading me, because they're calling me to violate your authority, not my personal preference. But I want you to help me, Lord, when I am a person of authority, that I would never be demanding, but that I would be a servant and that I would live under authority so I would have authority. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. I want to pray for you. Nobody looking around and you don't have to do anything public to. But I, I think it's important to respond to God. I, I wonder if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has convicted you because you really have a struggle with submitting. It's just hard for you to submit. And you want to say, Lord, I want you to help me. I don't want to be a rebellious person you to help me. Just slip your hand up right now. I want to pray for you. I have a problem submitting. Yeah, yeah. Nobody looked around. Not their business. Hands all over the building. I have a problem submitting. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've been taken advantage of before by someone in authority and you just kind of said, I'm not doing that again. And today God has convicted you to kind of give this thing another chance. Why don't you slip your hand up right now? Yeah, I totally, listen, maybe hurt in church. That's the worst. One, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm in a place of authority and I hadn't been doing it right. I hadn't been serving it with a servant's heart. I've been a little too demanding. And I want to ask God to help me to treat people right that I'm responsible for. Just slip your hand up right now. Yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit, you see all these things and the multitude of things you spoke to us individually about. I just want to ask you to help us. Just like we struggle with sin, we struggle with this. And I want to pray that you would not only forgive us when we messed up, but help us be the person you want us to be. Help us have courage when we need to stand when something's not right. And help us to have courage to submit willingly because we're doing it as unto Christ. In Jesus' name.